Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving. Now, in season two, The Cannamom Show continues on its mission to empower women-centric cannabis businesses by sharing their stories with you. Go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back, and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's The Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Dave, this is our last show of season two. Oh, bittersweet moment. It's been a journey. Who would have thought? Yeah. When I had that cannabis awakening in 2016, today I'd be sitting here. Well, <laughs> you can credit the the quality of the show and maybe call it credit the uh, cannabis itself. <laughs> we have a great roundup of guests. So I'm going to do a quick intro, but I have to share this. So I found this. Well, someone posted it, a book on the Internet. The Indispensable Scratch and Sniff Guide to Cannabis. It's a scratch and sniff cannabis book. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? All right. Wait a minute. I need more information. So it's it's all the all like different strains of cannabis and what they smell like? It, this is an adult book. And I'm <laughs> right. in the industry. Right. But look, there's a page on all the terpenes. Okay. You can describe it to our listeners since I can't see it. Can yeah, see they, it? yeah, they looked like uh, these cone-shaped things very colorful seem to be color-coded and i can't tell from and the <laughs> center of the cannabis leaf that you scratch <laughs> okay oh that's what that is okay so, so i questions. still have questions yes what uh, is there cannabis in the book it, so maybe the not right I t- uh, so the terpenes we talk about this everyone thinks cannabis smells like skunk or whatever people who aren't in the world think of it as but mm. it has so many different ar- scents and aromas it's herbal and so this i always talk about terpenes because it's not just the scent it's also the effect so this actually helped me understand some of them because there's just a lot to kind of know and then one more thing about this book before we go on 
look, they have like the universe of cannabis from sativa. Go ahead, show you me. See this? Yeah. Like, so there's the sun, which is sativa. Right. And then, you know, all those crazy names, you know, cannabis has ridiculous names. Yeah. It kind of helps you explain like where they are on the guide. Okay. And then it goes to the moon, which is indicas, because that's like the stuff that's supposed to help you fall asleep. So. Oh, okay. So it's the, the, I, the uninitiated would call it like downers versus uppers feelings. Yeah. Right. Sort but, of. But, okay. but it's not just sativa and indica. That's the thing. It is sativa, it's sativa and indica along with all the terpenes. So this is actually a very good book. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but. <laughs> I kind of want it. I kind of want it. I'm going to assume that it's not actual cannabis that you're smelling when you scratch. No, it's so, so, the, so like the just, terpenes, like there's one that's lemony or limonene, which is supposed to okay. be uplifting. It smells like lemon. So you understand that terpene smells like lemon. And then there's, I will say my nose may be not the greatest anymore. I had everybody in my house smell this. So some of them seemed to work really well. And- there was nothing better as a kid than getting a scratch and sniff book. I think I like I- strawberry the best. That was always, <laughs> it was always great. Strawberry, cherry. Chocolate was always kind of gross. And now you have cannabis. So, okay, let's um, move on. <laughs> I'm getting one. I want it. All right, people. I should get a cutback. That's you how I'm going to finance the show. Yeah. So the scratch and sniff. And then I was just, I was on this conference before I got on the um, our podcast about a regenerative cannabis, sustainable hemp and cannabis saving the world, basically. And today's guest about this too, because this is transformative. This is literally transformative change that not just me and my daughter's bedroom are talking about. These are industry leaders across the world, literally across the world, talking about this. So it's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny and exciting and world changing. It's an amazing product. So let's, so like I said, today's guest is pretty awesome. And we have Jillian with us today. So um, let's just jump into the, um, the introduction. Let's do it. All right. So today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Canna Provisions, an adult use dispensary with stores in Lee, and Holyoke, Massachusetts. She is also a cannabis pioneer, having a most influential role in the Colorado cannabis regulation and legalization over a decade ago. Today's guest has been featured on many prominent media outlets, including NPR, Rolling Stone, The New York Times, and now The Cannamom Show. (laughs) And prior to investing her powerful voice and incredible energy into the emerging cannabis industry. Today's guest had leadership roles in multiple business areas, including experience in managing financial compliance for private equity companies, nonprofit business leadership, and retail. We are so grateful to have Meg Sanders with us today to share her vision for the future of cannabis in Massachusetts and beyond. Welcome to our season two finale guest, Meg Sanders. Thank you for joining us, Meg. Thank you for having me. What an honor. And it's great to meet everyone. I'm truly grateful to be here today. So I know I was going to start with your Colorado journey, but I just like this topic of transformative change in cannabis. I mean, is this something you're talking about? You've been in this industry for a pretty long time. Well, I think it depends on the specific definition of transformative cannabis that you're looking at. <laughs> All right, There's a, I, ha, I have a lot of different aspects of that, but I would love to hear what you're in particular, what you're referencing. So they were talking about um, climate change, ecology, you know, using hemp, you know, I, so my silly book, The Scratch and Sniff, one of the charts is really like how these strains, like you can see how it 
it grows in every country all around the planet and how every plant, everybody can use this for like hemp, like, I guess that's a one topic. Hemp is um, regenerative, right? For the earth. And if we grew it and now that's our transformative kind of idea or using these even as oils instead of uh, petroleum. Like, are you seeing any, of, are you in any of that part of the world? Yeah. So that, that is such a great, I, I was hoping that's what we were going into. I think that there is such power in this plant with regards to healing the earth, feeding people, clothing people and and also using oil as fuel and various other aspects of ways we can we, we're using other types of of non-renewable resources right now so yeah it to me it is incredibly exciting and even so much so that even in our little hometown of lee massachusetts where one of our dispensaries is they are looking at planting hemp along the riverbank where General Electric did a spectacular job of poisoning our entire ecosystem, basically. And so there's a big push right now to plant hemp along the riverbank to help with the with basically regenerating the soil that has, you know, tr- basically tried to do its job in filtering for the earth, but needs a little backup of a lovely hemp plant that could definitely help turn over some of this toxicity and hopefully see some significant changes in what's happening. So it's a very timely topic. And I, for one, if, you know, anybody that I run into, I have significant amount of family in, in Texas. So it's actually a surprisingly large amount of people, but humans that are, you know, really in this whole doomsday scenario and thinking about, you know, they have to have X amount of seeds and those kinds of things in order to see us through the zombie apocalypse or whatever they fear is coming down the road. I am always like, yeah, we'll buy several thousand seeds of hemp. That would be a very good start of making sure that you have a sustainable way to eat and have fuel and, you know, also do good things with the earth. So, All right. So that's what I was looking for. So that could be the whole show, but that is enough. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> it could be though, man. I mean, I just, it was just very powerful to hear these world leaders and in different industries, you know, looking across and really talking about this. So I, I like the idea. It's not doomsday. We can have um, some power to change it. That's what I like about cannabis. So let's go for the littler picture. Let's go back to you. Let's start, I guess, why don't we start with what you were doing in Colorado? I know you had some connections to the governor, you in the legalization, the policy. I talk about pot politics and cannabis. They're my three favorite subjects. I like talking policy. So how were you working in Colorado and how voice influence, how that market started, I guess? So I, yeah, I had the pleasure of starting in cannabis in 2009, truly the wildest west that I've seen so far. And, you know, that was pre-regulations, pre-anything. We had a, a funny little piece in our constitution that said, you know, basically you could grow X amount of plants per human. And when the Coleman memo hit, basically saying if there's a, if there's a, if there's a, a state policy in place that the federal government would leave people alone. And the beauty of that is that's what started Colorado. And literally every warehouse storefront uh, you can imagine was quickly snapped up and, and put into the cannabis world just like that. Really, really interesting. And from that, we had basically 1280, House Bill 1284 hit, which put the initial medical regulations in. And we worked through that as an industry. And then from there, we went into adult use passing. And that was truly a game changer in every possible way, as far as my experience as the CEO of a cannabis company, which at the time was called Mindful. And that, that, that was an immediate legitimization of, of, 
the industry, the, the caliber of resume we received, the caliber mm -hmm. of investors that came to the table. All mm -hmm. of that shifted very rapidly once that particular voter initiative passed. And from there, I was asked by the governor's office to serve on the Amendment 64 task force, which was Amendment 64 was the voter initiative that passed. Uh, by the way, received more votes than Obama at the time. So it's always an interesting thing to think about in a purple it, state like, Cal like it's Colorado. It's a thing that brings everyone together. I say it's like the Venn diagram of politics. Everybody it is. In the middle. Yeah. yeah. It, it's very, very true. And ultimately what ended up happening was I served, I was the only industry representative on the entire task force, which is I think shocking, mm. but I was honored to do so. And it was a lot of work and a very small amount of time, but we were able to bring forth thoughtful regulations to the legislature to pass and off launched adult use. And the rest, as they say, is history. And, and that's kind of where I, you know, where I got cut my teeth in this amazing industry and was very fortunate to learn from the school hard knock, so to speak. So there, but I just want so like, so, so you were doing this. So what were you doing before? What like led you to this moment that, you know, I, I know you're in finance, but how did you, I'm so grateful that they had an industry voice on the panel, but just one, that's sad. Okay. Yeah. But you know, at least you were there. I mean, you know, there was a voice. So what were you doing before and how did you get connected to the cannabis world? So before I was raising two kiddos in Boulder, Colorado and working for family office, basically in the as you know, leading up their compliance department, I was responsible for about 20 traders in the US and abroad. And that was just a significant exposure to compliance and filling out forms and working with regulators. So, you know, that was kind of a training for something that I had no idea was coming down the pike, but right. that's the opportunity to actually enter the cannabis market came from a college friend of mine who was getting into the space. And I was just really, you know, hitting a, a glass ceiling, so to speak, where I was, it was a tiny, small family office. So there was really nowhere for me to go. And there was not a lot of appetite to, to forward my financial future there. So it was just a perfect opportunity to enter what was a very exciting time in Colorado. And that's how I got into it. And I actually started working with our attorneys. That's how I entered. And then from there, we had not the greatest leader and it just kind of came naturally that I became the CEO as the person who had a, a, enough experience to do so. And that was the beginning of a company called Mindful. And I'm still really proud of the work I did there and the brand we created and um, the locations that we found and opened. And I think it's just been, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. It's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've raised two kids. I've started a youth football league with 300 kids and 40 coaches and cannabis hands down takes the cake as far as oh, the hardest. Oh, Meg, you're just like another exceptional woman of our generation who's just like, <laughs> it's just what I just, I don't know. I did nothing today. I just, you know, <laughs> all right. So let's fast forward a little bit. So how did you end up in Massachusetts and how did you meet your partner? And I know he's pretty special. So what makes him so special as your partner in this journey? Well, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so cannabis is what brought us together as, as, as that happens frequently in this space, because I do think it requires a certain level of understanding from your partner in order to move this, in order to do what we do. It is a really hard job and you need so much support at home. And we met actually when we were as a, a company looking at Connecticut, who was moving forward the first legislative bill to legalize medical marijuana. And when we were watching this happening, we jumped in, we thought, God, this would be a great way to expand our business model. 
And Eric was the one, Eric Williams, who's my partner, is the one, and partner in everything. He was the one who, who wrote the bill and was leading the charge. So he was a political consultant at the time. And that's how we met. And he, he just, we had, a, you know, just kind of an immediate connection, very well, very like-minded, very passionate about what we do. And it just kind of one thing led to another and, and we became life partners as well. And I think, you know, the thing that was really interesting about that whole experience was it was really the next, it was like the first time to get involved at, really at the ground floor and learn a lot about how our government works, even at the individual state level. And that ended up becoming quite a skill set. Mm-hmm. And that ended up with, a, as you guys probably understand, or maybe not, and maybe your audience doesn't understand, but there's not a lot of people like me that have the experience that I do, especially for the length of time. Oh, no. And, and every a time, unicorn. When I saw that you existed, <laughs> I was like, Beth, I must meet her. <laughs> a little bit of a unicorn. Yes. And so if you can imagine all of these states that open, right? I mean, we have so many now. There's not a lot of talent to fill those states. And so it's a lot of very green people coming in and trying to do it on their own. And what we found was there's just a massive, massive demand for consulting. And we found an immediate niche and were able to capitalize on that. And it was just a great way to learn a lot very quickly about various states. We worked in California, Nevada, Illinois, Tennessee, which is still we're working on, Arkansas, Florida, Connecticut, and then Massachusetts. And that's really one of the biggest polls we got was from applicants or licensees in Massachusetts. And Eric lives in Connecticut. So it was kind of a natural transition to leave my role as CEO, to go into more of a biz dev and consulting role. And it just worked out to that Massachusetts ended up being a very desirable opportunity once we saw what was happening with their adult use bill and basically the, the voter initiative, I should say, and then how the legislature treated that. And that's how we got to Massachusetts. Well, so, uh, okay. So I just, I like the policy stuff and Let's just go to Western Massachusetts. So for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, I've grown up here my whole life. Can you describe what Western Massachusetts is like? Because people may think of Massachusetts like Boston and what makes it so hospitable to cannabis right now? And because you're right in there. So Western Massachusetts is truly one of the most amazing places I have ever been. We have had, I, I just want to put it this way. I remember we had a client at the time, which was can, which ended up being Canna Provisions that was looking at some municipalities to open. And in Massachusetts, what a lot of people don't understand, and it still exists today, is that over 60% of the towns and municipalities in the state had either a long-term moratorium or a ban against adult use opening in their towns. And that created a very unique market of the towns that wanted cannabis and had ordinances on the books or were openly working on ordinances became really, really desirable. And Western Massachusetts wasn't super high on everyone's radar. Everyone thinks of Massachusetts, they think Boston. They don't understand. And even Bostonians, I don't think, really understand anything past Worcester. I think they think anything past Worcester is like there's dinosaurs and pterodactyls and, you know, it's just crazy. We don't like, it, you know, and, and, and Massachusetts is a teeny tiny state, which is sort of the craziness of all this. But yeah, yeah. so keep going. It's two, it's, two, <laughs> it's two and a half hours away. I mean, it's like, it's like driving to Vail from Denver. It's like so silly. But at any rate, that was also super fortunate in that 
there were a handful of townships that were open to cannabis and we happened to fall in love with one of them, which is Lee, Massachusetts. And I tell you, I, you know, being growing up and living in Colorado most of my life, even though I'm from Texas and definitely consider myself a Texan, when I drove over the pass entering the Berkshires, and there's this sign on the Mass Pike that just basically says the Berkshires, when I drove over that hill and kind of started into the valley, I immediately felt I was home. It was such a refreshing, beautiful, very much like the, like where I lived in Colorado rivers and mountains and skiing and, and, you know, definitely not Colorado skiing, but I'm not complaining at all. And I think ultimately it just was an amazing chance to feel super comfortable where I lived a town that was so welcoming to us and so pleasant that so so much so that we bought a house and live in Lee now and that was really the magic of it it was a perfect storm of acceptability there was a phenomenal location that we were able to secure and that's right off you know it's 300 yards off the Mass Pike so I don't think you can do much better than that you know even right now I would say it's one of the best locations in the entire state of Massachusetts and it so, is a great it's a great region I mean and again like western Massachusetts for whatever you know we had a lot of mill towns out there and things were not the economic prosperity of the east part of the state was not always shared. So I, I really feel like, you know, I knew the mayor of Holyoke and I saw that he was treating it like just a shoe store. You come in, they're not making it crazy. And I was very aware of all the towns that were saying they didn't want it and now they do. So, and I say this too, I would like to be that person talking to people about municipality issues because I do have a law degree. I studied urban policy. Like I get this kind of stuff and to be the voice to come in and say, it's fine. White men who are sitting on these small town panels, right. <laughs> these, these businesses are fine. So thank you. You are doing that. Well, it was, it just worked out perfectly. And and honestly, Eric's, you know, Eric's role as a political consultant for so long, I always say this, I'm like, you're the Lord of the living room, man. It's like, he's just, he walks in there and he knows exactly what their concerns are. He, he can communicate with them at like no one else. And, you know, for whatever reason, Lee bought us hook, line, and sinker, and we were very, very lucky to open our first store there, and um, still very grateful to do so. And you did mention our other favorite awesome town in Western Mass, which is Holyoke, and that's a completely different reason why we ended up there. And you mentioned Mayor Morse, who has moved on to other greater ventures, but right. his predecessor, the person that's following him, is, abs- is actually following his lead. Good. And... Holyoke, the goal of the mayor and even current government is to make Holyoke basically the Amsterdam of the Northeast, if not of all of America. And I think it's a phenomenal goal. And they were really brave about that. Put it down, you know, right right from the beginning. We want every aspect of cannabis here, not just stores, not just grows, not just manufacturing, but consumption and yoga and massage and tourism and the vision was to bring Holyoke back from what once was the wealthiest town in the United States. And I mean, truly per capita, amazing, amazing wealth. And then it kind of just really took a horrible slide with the mills closing. And we hope to be the, the spark that brings it back to its glory. It's a beautiful, beautiful that. town. And I, the, and the, I'm, oh my God, I just love that. I have to go out there. I mean, it is, it's kind of shocking if you're from Massachusetts, like Northampton, Amherst, you know, the, you know, the universities are really doing well. And then you would still drive through Holyoke and it was, what is going on here? So, oh my gosh, that is so awesome. And and I, that is what I hope the first time I met Alex Morris, like three years ago or something at a municipal event. And, oh, 
this is great. Okay, so keep moving on. I know this is, I could talk to you all day. I was introduced to you through Elevate Northeast event. And I just, how else are you working on education and social equity? I mean, I know you're talking about your what you're doing in Holyoke. But again, this industry, we're building it in the, we're building a new business, we're building a new culture, is what I say, and you seem to be doing it. So how, what are you doing specifically on education and social equity? Well, I think, you know, one of the one of the things that I learned early on in cannabis is the best way to move the needle is one conversation at a time. One can and, of story at a time, Meg. <laughs> and it's, it is, it seems daunting and painful and not as effective as you might think, but it works. And I just know how many people I've spoken with who's all of a sudden had a horrible diagnosis in their family or all of a sudden had a very painful accident and they're trying to recover from it, or, you know, having some mental health concerns. There's just so many ways that, that, you know, that various topics of cannabis come up and autoimmune. That's a huge one for me. So what I found is being patient and listening and having that opportunity to turn one person. And it's kind of like that commercial. I told one friend and they told two friends and so on and so on. I really do believe it is one of the most effective strategies. So with that in mind, we set out to set up a store environment that not only fostered that, but actually advertised it as if you want education about cannabis, this is where you should come. Just no doubt about it. And the way we set up our stores, it it makes it so that you can sit and speak with a guide for as long as you want. I mean, we've had customers stay in our store for an hour asking every possible question they can ask. And there's no line behind them tapping their feet. We don't do deli style. We have this very um, natural side-by-side conversation in front of cannabis so that we can have these conversations, intimate conversations, answer what some people are embarrassed to ask if a whole bunch of people were listening. And that is our goal as a company is we are helping educate each customer one at a time. And I think part of what we're seeing is a huge success rate in that so many people, especially in Lee, that come to us are brand new to cannabis, brand spanking new. And that is an enormous responsibility. If you think about it, if we just had a five second conversation, threw out some edibles and said, good luck, thanks for coming, took their money and off they went, the chances of success are pretty slim. And we have provided, you know, feedback um, loops. So you can call us and ask questions when you get home about your product. You can call us, you can call and speak to your guide if you would like. We have many guides that are just, you know, they have favorite customers that need to ask them questions and that kind of thing. And I just really believe that there is an existing cannabis market and we love those folks, but the non-cannabis consumer is such a bigger market and the ability to introduce somebody, somebody thoughtfully to this product and be a shepherd, a guide for them as they experience it and, and then try something else and try something else. There is no better way to create customer loyalty. Absolutely no better way. And you're healing people. I mean, this is the thing I'm always amazed at most with these, the women I interviewed, they basically discovered cannabis as a last resort. No one ever helped them figure out the dosing most of the stuff they don't even know was in it because it wasn't, you know, from a, a dispensary and they still figured out how to heal themselves. So they are becoming the women or the healers that they needed. And I just, that's so great, man. Cause I still go to dispensaries where you're still screaming across the plexiglass and 
Yeah. And I'm in the industry and I still find it intimidating to go into these dispensaries. We have to go downstairs, show two IDs, get clicked in, show it again. You know, I, if I didn't already feel comfortable there, I would never go into that place, I think. And the idea that you exist and they're trying, women are building these dispensaries that do feel very comfortable and supportive. It's helping women like me who we literally know the least and we need it the most, right? Right, exactly. And I think that's the biggest part of this is, you know, finding a platform and a, and a thoughtful, responsible way to communicate all the aspects of this plant. And we convert people all the time. I mean, they, it's, it is remarkable the amount of thank yous and accolades we get from our customers when they come in, and all the way down to the individual humans that serve them. I mean, they are just loyal, loyal. We have people that will wait in line to see a specific guide. They're, they're just like, nope, I just want to see John. Nope, John helps me. John knows my deal. I just, yeah. you know, I would like to speak with John. So they wait. And it's just phenomenal. And I think that's a testament to that fact that our employees bought into this moment of education, this very small period of time where we have an ability to impact a large population and a, a way to do it differently and more thoughtfully with a, with a real focus on customer experience. And now that we're back in store, it's so much better. You know, huh. it was a little difficult to do curbside, but we still did it. But man, now that we can have people back in the store, it's so lovely to see everyone, you know, back and asking questions and kind of back to how we originally wanted to do this. So we're super grateful. And even more appreciative. Oh my goodness. I have so much more to talk to you about, but all right. So we are going to be back in a minute with our guest, Meg Sanders, CEO of Canna Provisions, Adult Dispensaries in Lee and Holyoke, Mass. Massachusetts after we have a quick word with our sponsor this week who is here today cannabis accounting because you know cannabis accounting it's really a thing and if you have a business oh I've lost my little thing (laughs) it's a thing and if you're a small business planning on growing you need clarity in your bookkeeping and at Simply J Bookkeeping and Consulting their unique approach to servicing their clients is going to help you. Simply Jay's founder, Jillian Johnson, who is here today, had a vision for a one-stop shop for bookkeeping, accounting, compliance, and managerial services for small to medium-sized businesses that welcomed holistic organizations, including cannabis. And she's manifested that vision into a reality because that's what women in cannabis do. So thanks for joining us today live, Jillian. You're good welcome. To, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, so... Let's see. Let's talk about risks. What are some of the risks you're seeing in your can accounting business? You know, can you if you can sum them up in five minutes or less, you can do that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That's a difficult task, but I will. I'll do it. You know, it's simple in the fact that what Meg was referring to earlier is education. You know, you're going into this business with any starting any business, you need to understand what your biggest weaknesses are. What information do you not have? What are your risks and who has that knowledge or where is that knowledge kept? You know, uh, go to the state website and start there, obviously. Go to LinkedIn, find people that are already doing what you're doing successfully. Reach out to them. People are willing to share knowledge. There's a land of abundance. No one is, a. it's not competition. I swear it really isn't. It's land of abundance and learn from those who are doing it well. And again, Meg referred to one conversation at a time. That is so awesome. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm doing the same thing. I have multiple mentors in cannabis, you know, learning about cannabis, not specifically accounting, but you know, the functionalities, the operations of it. That way I can really provide the knowledge to my team and to our clients. Another thing too is lack of collaboration with legal counsel. I can't tell you how often I see 
operating agreements and organizational structures that are set up and without a CPA. There are partnerships where there really isn't a partner. There are C-Corps where it's really not necessary. So get your CPA, your accountant like us involved in the early stages. We are just as important as legal counsel, especially with 280E. Like everybody goes, ooh, 280E. It's the weirdest thing in cannabis, but it exists. You got to know. You got to have a specialist. You can't get around it. Please stop trying to get around it. Thousands upon thousands of dollars are being handed out for fines and penalties. So work with someone like us or another CPA, whomever has the knowledge, please work with them to gain an understanding and do the right thing from the beginning to save yourself all of those costs. Because as we know, cannabis organizations, you know, are running very lean with all the tax liability, everything's so expensive, lack of banking, And if last but not least, I think this is one of the most important things that I'm seeing is really understanding your cost per units. And, you know, a lot of companies I'm seeing that are not, don't have a a true robust inventory management system. And, you know, you don't have to have the most complex systems to make it work, but you need something and you need to understand your margins. How well are you doing? And it's not just direct cost people. There's indirect, there's overhead. You know, and there's no question that's stupid. Trust me, I have clients that are constantly like, oh God, I'm going to ask the question. You're going to cringe. I never judge. The team never judges you. We are here to support you. We appreciate cannabis more in more ways than you realize. (laughs) So please utilize a a good accountant, CPA professional. And, you know, if you're looking for those services, obviously, you know, we'd love to do a discovery meeting. And if we can't meet your needs, we will find someone who can. Because that's how we work in cannabis. You know, again, build your tribe. We can't know everything. Vulnerability, that is your strength. Know what you're vulnerable in. And you go out and reach and find people to help you in that area. Because again, when we're building culture and women want to lead it and we let them in into, but you know, we are collaborating. This is the idea that we're doing something that's going to actually heal the people. We don't want to go to the doomsday world. We're not going there because we all have kids and family and I just can't worry about that. I just got to worry about making the world better. So thanks, Jillian. So if they want to reach you, I'll have all your information in our um, notes because that is what we do. And thank you so much for this month, making this show possible so we can share the stories one can of story at a time. Thank you, Joyce. Thanks to everybody. I appreciate you guys. I know. So, all right. So we are back with our season two finale guest, Meg Sanders, CEO of Canna Provisions and Adult Use Dispensary in Western Massachusetts. Let's go women in the industry. I know we, in the beginning, there were more women. There are fewer women now. Like, I don't know, the women are coming back. I, I read somewhere once that you encourage people to smile because we are trying to create a new community, a new culture that we're, you can be kind to each other. What do you see happening? You mean out, kind of how it's going right now? Yeah. Starting to interact with the general public? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, women, I, I, just, I hope women are taking up leadership roles still. I know this is, you know, a lot of this is just capital, the capital issues, as Jolene was saying. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I have to say our staff, let me start with our staff. They have, they are on the front lines of all of this and they have gone through the gauntlet, you know, with every possible industry change, business change because of new rules, new regs, masks, gloves, curbside, you know, limited people inside, limited people working together. I mean, they have really 
they've gone through amazing and, and hard changes. And I have to say they, they face each day with a, with a positive attitude and kind of the can of provisions way. And I also can tell you, but, you know, as a woman in this industry, you know, every day is challenging and that still most of the people that I'm dealing with, whether it be regulators or whether it be investors or, you know, pretty much I can just look back at like my calendar from this week and almost every meeting, I was the only woman in the meeting or one of two in the meeting. It's just still not getting there. And I am seeing, you know, I work with a bunch of women in a cohort right now. We're trying to figure out a platform to support more women in the industry in particular, because it is such a unique experience, but we all have the same battle wounds. We all have the same concerns. We all have the same frustrations. I think the hardest part about it is finding your voice in a group of men who are pretty much, no offense to anyone listening, but are programmed not to hear us, especially in the professional way. They're programmed um, to hear their own voices. So our voices are softer and higher and, you know, not always the thing that they hear. So I have to speak up so much more and I have to be so much more on my game to make sure I get my words in. And it's a challenge and it's honestly, it's just exhausting. So we're working through that as, a, as leaders. It's a whole bunch of women, female CEOs from different areas of the country. But, you know, we're working through various ideas and ways to empower each other and support each other. And then I would just say one of the biggest areas where we're feeling the pinch is in hiring. We just do not have the same workforce that we had pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of women that are not returning to the workforce anytime soon. And I'm thinking about, what that impact is going to look like as it's already a very limited pool, especially at the top and what it takes in order to get there. And, you know, I, I've been part of this industry for a very long time going to my, going on my 12th year. I've raised so many hundreds of millions of dollars in this space. And even today, even with all of my track record and proven successes, my ability to ask for money versus uh, someone who is a male in my exact same position to ask for funding, it's night and day. And it just shouldn't have to be like that. So what do we do as a collective, collective humanity, as well as women, you know, getting together to figure out how do we change the needle and how do we keep motivated to keep showing up and fighting for what's ours? It's, it's an incredible um, journey right now. And, and I will say the women, like, I, I kind of used to joke <laughs> that, you know, you had to be exceptional. Like, I want to create a world where exceptional women can, you know, achieve like mediocre men which really seems unfair. So I think the cannabis should develop, you know, mediocre men and mediocre women can achieve at the same success. And that I think that we have to create our own tables. I feel like, I mean, I'm 56. I feel like I'm the beginning of a generation that's up, coming up. I see these moms are dropping out just like I did, which makes me so sad because I can see that it's impacted my career, obviously. And I was hoping that it wasn't going to be happen to another generation. So yeah, I would, <laughs> the women, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this different? Because the men aren't going to change. We have to create something new. I think that's where we are. I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. I don't want to have to ask men for money anymore. I just want to ask women for money. I don't want to have to, you know, put together a male board because that's all I have is investors. And so, I, you know, I, I feel like there is an opportunity here to shift the table. I'm starting very actively to go after and target female-led funds, female, you know, female financial options. It is a really important goal, but I think that that's kind of where it starts. If we don't pick that path, then who is, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
I mean, my, my biggest dream in the whole world, here's like my life goal dream boat, other than just being, um, an animal rescue for senior animals. Like that's like my, my, once I finally check out of day to day, this, that's what I want to do. But, but really one of my biggest goals, I, I know so many female led companies right now that are looking for capital. And I would love to figure out a different way to structure all of them together. So they all get to work together. We all get to share the, in the, in the benefit of working together and we feel the pain points together and we have female money that comes in and works with us. I want to change the game. And that's one of the things that I often am going with, you know, going, I want to say at it with my board, but it is a little bit of, like you said, it's a paradigm shift. And I, how often I just say to them, guys, just because you were successful doing it your way does not mean it is the only way to do it. There are so many other ways to find success in this space, not in just this space, but any space. And how often do we see these outlier, thoughtful, innovative companies just really knock it out of the park? And how are we not just going, wow, you've been really successful. You took $5 million and you raised, you know, you created a $100 million company. You did that in two and a half years. Wow, that's really freaking remarkable. But no, it's, hey, we just want 1% off of your payroll budget. I mean, it's, it's, this yeah. is the silliness that I'm dealing with. All right. So again, everything is made up. The, they made this world up, the men. So we're making a new world up. All right. So Megan's going Megan's gonna to fix this. We'll just talk about that later. And just <laughs> one more question. <laughs> we are so up on time. What are you looking forward to this summer? And how do people connect with you if they want to reach you and uh, visit or I don't know, just hang out with you for a while because they love you so much. What? <laughs> so what am I looking forward to this summer? Hopefully yeah. getting our third store open yeah. and getting, uh, well, in, it's in East Hampton. We're waiting for a change of oh, ownership. Really? female-led town by Mayor LaChapelle, who's phenomenal. And if I can just interject a quick thing of, of uh, change, ladies, run for office. Run I tried that office. once. Actually, I tried that twice and they didn't want me, but I have a great story. <laughs> well, I'm just saying we just have to keep trying. We have to be the optionality. I agree. If we're not making policy decisions or at the Capitol living there and doing that kind of work, we're just going to, this will never change. So I agree. I, I totally, I totally, that is like the truth. I say it every show. Yeah. You just, you gotta, so, it's, who's whispering in the ears or who is the ear? So yeah, you got to be that person. And I know it's hard and daunting. And I know it's, it feels like an up at dawn pride swallowing siege, but you know what? We got to do it. So that's that part so summer getting our cultivation fully functioning which is huge and getting our third store open that that would just be a dream come true and obviously spending a little time with my family would be wonderful now that we're out of covid and the beautiful berkshires all right so people want to connect with you reach out to canna provisions i Canna Provisions, you know, I'm very open about my email. It's meg at cannaprovisionsgroup.com. I'm a big fan of, you know, being transparent and open and available. And please reach out to me. Please go to cannaprovisions.com to visit our website. There's a lot of information on there. You can often find me on the floor of the stores. So if I'm in Lee or Holyoke, I'm often there. Please, if you come to visit, ask. But I really am looking forward to more connections in this space and helping women find their, find their dream in, in this cannabis world for sure. Oh, that's my dream too. All right. I'm going to make a trip out West this summer. It's going to happen. Can't wait All right. to see you. <laughs> thank you. All right. So for my guest, Meg Sanders, thank you. Thank you so much for my Canabro, David Yaz. I'm going to miss you this summer. Well, you can check much- in now and again, if you'd like. 
who am I going to make fun of and blame the whiteness of the man world on? <laughs> when, you, when you feel lonely, send me a text making fun of me, okay? I will. I Sorry. Thank you. That's always, you're always there for me. Ah, for my social media team, Catherine and Hayden, another great job this week. We will be active on social media this summer, even though there will be no new podcast. We'll be on Clubhouse starting today, Wednesday, every day at 4, talking about Three Can of Moms, illuminating the way with my friend Amy Chin and Dory Wiley. And, of course, we're going to be reposting some old shows over the summer just for you to enjoy again. I want to thank Josh Lampkin and Bella Jaffe for writing and performing the Cannamon theme music. And they are creating a whole new theme for Season 3. Another reason to tune back in. But, most importantly, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cannamon show where we are talking about caring for and giving voice to women in the emerging cannabis industry one can of story at a time and we have so many great interviews lined up for season three starting in september so mark your calendars join us in the fall and while we are taking a short summer break please follow the Mom show on social media and subscribe anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast i am your host joyce gerber this is the Mom show we are a production of pod 617 the boston podcast network and i want to wish you a great summer to reset or relax And we'll see you in the fall. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, She would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.